Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Hey, we left off on Wednesday with David on the run. Where could David go where Saul would never think to look? Well, he went to Achish, king of Gath. Gath, one of the five major fortified Philistine cities on the coastal plain. Gath, home of Goliath of Gath, whom David slew. Now, David is working as a mercenary for Achish. We now put in at 1 Samuel 23. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, Keilah, a town in Israel in Judah, and they're looting the threshing floors. David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Now that's a serious question because David is now working for the Philistines. David now has 600 men with him, 600 really tough mercenaries. We'll meet some of them as our stories continue. Shall I attack the Philistines? Because if I attack them and save Keilah, Achish will get word of it. So how can I do this? Should I attack or just stay away? The Lord answered, Go, attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, here in Judah, we're afraid. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? We're already in Saul's territory. And if we go to a fortified city, and get trapped inside, Saul will slaughter us. So once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, Go down to Keilah, I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. Now, Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, who had been killed by Doeg the Edomite, all of the family except Abiathar, who had escaped. Abiathar, the priest, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Keilah. So Abiathar is now functioning as the high priest, wearing the ephod of the high priest with the breastplate that includes the urim and the thummim, that is, the two items to make decisions, sort of like yes and no. Shake them up, draw one, and there's your answer. Now Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah, and he said, God has handed him over to me, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. I'll lay siege to the city and trap him inside. Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Saul is going to besiege one of his own cities. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod. And David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitively that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And Abiathar 
shook the Urim and the Thummim, drew one out. Yes, he will. Again, David asked, Will the citizens Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? Again, Abiathar shook the Urim and the Thummim, drew one out. Yes, they will. So David and his men, about 600 now in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he didn't go there. So David is on the run, moving from place to place, staying one step ahead of Saul and Saul's army. David stayed in the desert strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. When you leave Jerusalem at 2,500 feet above sea level and drop south all the way down to Jericho at 900 feet below sea level and then continue dropping down to the Dead Sea at about 1,300 feet below sea level, the lowest place on earth, it's all desert, the Negev Desert. That's where David is hiding out, moving from place to place. While David was at Horash in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come to take his life. Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horash and helped him find strength in God. Jonathan said, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Everyone knows this, including my father. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horash. Now, all the while, David has 600 really tough mercenaries working with him. They're on the run, but, but he's working for the Philistines. He's working for Achish, king of Gath. As our story continues, we'll learn that David will raid Philistine outposts and villages, take all the loot and the plunder, and then kill every living thing in the village or town. So word didn't get back to Achish. David is working as a double agent. He's meeting with Jonathan. He's feeding Jonathan information on the Philistines. Jonathan is with David. This is a very dangerous game that David's playing. The Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah and they said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh? on the hill of Hakilah, south of Yeshimon. Now, O king, come down whenever it pleases you to do so, and we'll hand him over to you. Saul replied, The Lord bless you for your concern for me. Go and make further preparation. Find out where David usually goes and who has seen him. He's very crafty. Find out all about the hiding places he uses and come back to me with definite information. Then I will go with you, and if he's in the area, I'll track him down among all the clans of Judah. So they set out, and they went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the desert of Maon, in the Arava, south of Yeshimon. Saul and his men began the search. And when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Maon. When Saul heard this, he went to the desert of Maon in pursuit of David. Now Saul was going along one side of the mountain. David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. 
So it's a cat and mouse game. David is staying one step ahead of Saul. But David knows that at some point, Saul will get lucky or David will get careless or perhaps both, and that will be the end. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. So Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistine threat. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. The story of David at En Gedi is a wonderful story. And when we travel to Israel on our teaching tours, we spend one full day in the Negev, one full day down by the Dead Sea, and we start by spending the morning at En Gedi. En Gedi, the spring of En Gedi. David and his 600 men hid out there. Now, let me describe it to you. Today, there's a road that travels south along the western side of the Dead Sea. Back in David's day, there was no road, of course. They built that road in the 1960s. But there was no road, and the Dead Sea came right up against the mountains. So there's no way in from the Dead Sea. Saul would have to come over the top and around to the entrance of En Gedi, down by the Dead Sea. And his plan was to enter at the Dead Sea, and Engedi is a box canyon, which narrows as you move back into it. And on both sides, there are limestone cliffs that are riddled with caves, like Swiss cheese. And when we travel there, and we spend time at Engedi, and I tell this story at Engedi, we see ibex. They're often called mountain goats, but they're not goats, they're not wild goats, they're ibex. They look like deer with long, beautiful horns. Lots of them. When we go in the springtime, we see baby ibex. They get up in the trees and they eat the leaves of the trees. And we hike up to the very back of Angeti where there's a waterfall. The spring of Angeti creates a waterfall down into the Box Canyon and flowing out to the Dead Sea. So David had a very protected spot at Angeti with meat on the hoof and fresh water, and the caves provided housing for his men, his 600 men. And up on the rim of En Gedi, you could see for 20 or 30 miles anybody approaching. So David would post guards up on the rim of En Gedi. So, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. Saul took three thousand chosen men, the best from all Israel, and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats or the crags of the ibex. He came to the sheep pens along the way at the entrance where the Dead Sea is. He came to the sheep pens and a cave was there. Saul, as I said, would spread his men out, push toward the back of the canyon, and trap David and his men back by the waterfall. 
and kill them all. Saul has 3,000 of Israel's best warriors. David has 600 men. Well, before Saul issues the order to begin sweeping the canyon, if anyone among you has been in combat, in a hot fight, and you know you're going into it, the thing you have to do the most is go to the bathroom. You get diarrhea. Trust me, you do. And Saul did. So Saul looked at one of the caves and he went up to one of the caves to relieve himself. It's very bright outside. You're in the desert. The caves are dark. David and some of his men were far back in the cave. And when Saul entered the cave, given he came from the bright light into the dark, he couldn't see anything. But Saul never sat with his back to an open room. So Saul turned around facing outward, lifted up his robe, squatted down, and began taking care of business. Meanwhile, David and his men are back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said, I'll give your enemy into your hands. So David crept up silently behind Saul. David drew his K-bar knife. And he was going to, as Saul was taking a dump, he was going to put his left hand over Saul's mouth, clap his mouth and nose shut, tip his head forward with David's shoulder, slip the K-bar at the base of the brainstem on the back of Saul's neck, give one twist, and it would be over. That's how you take out a sentry. And David was very good at doing such a thing. So David seeks gets right up behind him. He's ready to reach around with his hand and clap it over Saul's nose and mouth. He has the knife drawn, but then he stops. He very quietly leaned down and cut off the corner of Saul's robe and then crept to the back of the cave. The men are going, what? You, you, you let him get away? What's wrong with you? And David said, The Lord forbid I should, I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed. He's an anointed king. I will not lift my hand against him. He's an anointed king of God. And with these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul finished taking care of business. He got up, straightened out his robes, and went back down to his men. About to issue the order to spread out and sweep the canyon and trap David and his men in the back. But David stepped out to the entrance of the cave and he called out in a loud voice, My Lord, the King! When Saul looked behind him, he spun around. There was David at the opening of the very cave he had been in. David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David has been on harming you? 
This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in this cave. All my men urged me to kill you. I spared you. I said I will not lift my hand against my master. He is the Lord's anointed. Look, my father. And David held up the corner of Saul's robe. Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe. I did not kill you. Now understand and recognize, I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. And may the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. My hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul, in such a pathetic way, with a quavering voice, said, you, you, you are more righteous than I. You, you have treated me well. You, You've just told me the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands. You did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you've treated me today. I know you'll be king, and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now, now swear to me by the Lord that you'll not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul, just as he had promised Jonathan. Nothing will happen to your family. Now, pause for a moment. If you were one of Saul's 3,000 chosen men, the best warriors in all Israel, and you were standing there silently watching this exchange between Saul and David, listening to what David said and what Saul said. Might you not be thinking, I'm working for the wrong guy? That's exactly what those men were thinking. David said, I won't lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. Look, I, I said at the beginning of this study, of King David, that David was a magnificent warrior. David will be a tremendous king and profound man of God, but David is a stone-cold killer. Why did David not kill Saul? Perhaps respecting his oath to Jonathan, but more so, David is a very shrewd politician. David knew exactly what those 3,000 men would think when he stepped out to the entrance of that cave and held up the garment. Those men would think, I am working for the wrong guy. Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. What a story, folks. Oh, and I hope one day when this COVID 
pandemic ends and things get back more or less to normal. I hope you'll be able to come with me to Israel. And we'll go to En Gedi. And we'll tell a story right there on site. And I'll point out the very cave, the very cave where it happened. Because you know what? The archaeologists in exploring that cave, and we have DNA testing nowadays, they discovered a 3,000-year-old petrified turd. <laughs> there you go. You have got to come with me to Israel. Many of you have been. Many of you have been but I cannot wait to get back. You know, during this whole pandemic thing, uh, I desperately miss my live classes. We haven't met in class since the middle of March. And here we are, what now, in November? All of our teaching tours were canceled. I haven't seen any of you. Well, I have a class now on uh, St. Paul the Apostle online and every Saturday morning from 10 to noon we have a Zoom session where I can talk with my students and answer questions. They can talk with each other. But it's not the same. Not the same as a live class with a couple of hundred people sitting there and telling the stories and all laughing together and having a good time. And, and I really truly love the teaching tours. I did my first one in 1992, so it's been, oh gosh, 28 years. And typically five or six tours a year. And I get to meet all of you. and really get to know you and have dinner together and close the bar at night telling stories. And it's a wonderful time to, to walk in the very footsteps of Jesus, to walk in the footsteps of King David, to see what they saw and to tell the stories right there on site. I desperately want to get back to the way it was. Well, here we are with our podcast. I'm reminiscing now and getting all teary-eyed. So thank you for being here with me. I uh, love all of you. Keep me in your prayers as I'll keep you in mine. And I will see you again on Monday. Bye-bye now.